Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, this month we have a special treat. Our speaker this month is Pastor Lawrence Nelson, the founder of Keep the Faith Ministry. I hope you enjoy this message. It is part one of a two-part series that I think will help you in your preparation for the end times. Elder Nelson prepared this sermon shortly after his wife Dean passed to her rest last year. May God bless you as you listen. The Divine Connection, Part 1 Recently, I discovered a word used by Ellen White under inspiration, which I had never particularly noticed before. Immediately, I was captivated. This simple word has opened to me a deeper knowledge of the plan of salvation. I was reading from Volume 7, Bible Commentary, page 929, in which she states, God created Adam connected with the Father and the Son. What does this word connected imply? Needless to say, we all have somewhat knowledge of this word's meaning. Even our children do. Every day we actually involve our thoughts and our actions in connecting things. We turn the switch to connect the light bulb with the electricity. Or we connect the toaster to toast our bread. We connect the washing machine to clean our clothes. We turn the key in our car to connect the battery so that our automobile will have power to operate. But before we discover this connection of divine power, let us pause here as you join with me in prayer for heavenly guidance that God may spiritually feed us in this message. Our loving Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we ask for a clear understanding of what actually took place as we read from the servant, thy servant, God created Adam connected with the Father and the Son. We need to know so we too may have such a connection with Jesus today. Amen. Now let us begin our study with what took place during creation week. On the sixth day of creation, God formed a body for man out of the dust of the ground. This body contained an extremely complicated brain 
when completed. Then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. As this life from God entered his body, Adam immediately began to function physically. His brain began, began to function as his mind. Thus, God created man after his own image. God also created a helpmate for Adam by taking one of Adam's ribs from which he created woman. Thus, Eve became Adam's loving companion. But keep in mind that both Adam and Eve's bodies were perfect and their minds were also perfect. So it's no wonder that David stated in Psalms 139:14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. But wonder of wonders, at creation, God also gave Adam and Eve a still greater gift than their perfect bodies. God actually planted in their minds his indwelling presence, which inspiration declares in volume 7, Bible Commentary, page 926, God created Adam connected with the Father and the Son. And it was God's plan to give this greater gift to all created beings. I quote, From eternal ages, it was God's purpose that every created being, from the bright and holy seraph to man, should be a temple for the indwelling of the Creator. Desire of Ages, page 161. This special gift of a connection made it possible for God to share with man his life and nature. Volume 1, Bible Commentary, page 1082. He made Adam a partaker of his life, his nature. How did he do this? Great Controversy, page 467. In the beginning, man was created in the image of God. He was in perfect harmony with the nature and the law of God. And now notice, the principles of righteousness were written upon his heart. End quote. Thus, the law of God was written in the mind. It was to govern the life. For we read in Signs of the Times, April 22, 1886, when Adam and Eve were created and placed in their Eden home, they had knowledge of the law that was to govern them. Its precepts were imprinted on their hearts by Jehovah himself, and they were acquainted with its claims upon them. But sorry to say, this connection could be broken. For man 
needed a daily connection with God in order to keep his law. In Review and Herald, February 11, 1902, they were to live in close communion with heaven, receiving power from the source of all power. Upheld by God, they were to live sinless lives. Did you notice from the quotation how a sinless life is obtained? We read by communion with God. Adam and Eve, before they sinned, held human, held open communion, face to face with God. But they broke this connection by sinning. This is why we today commune with God only by prayer and meditation upon his word, since we have sinned. Now this brings us to another special gift that God gave man. He gave Adam and Eve the gift of choice. Mankind could choose to remain connected with God, or he could choose to break the connection and separate himself from God's indwelling presence and power. In the Bible, the indwelling presence of righteousness is likened to a garment or a robe. Let me illustrate. As long as a person is clothed, he and his garment are one. However, if he removes his clothing, he becomes naked. This illustrates that the indwelling presence of God is not a permanent part of a person. By the power of choice, the connection can be severed and thus God's presence removed. Consider Lucifer when he was in heaven. He exercised his power of choice negatively, thus separating himself from God by sinning. The result? His brilliant mind became evil. Thus, he was able to deceive one-third of the angels. This is why God cast him and his rebellious angels out of heaven. But sorry to say, Satan and his evil angels came down to Adam's and Eve's world. Would Adam and Eve choose to retain their connection with God? Or would they choose to be joined with Satan? God had clearly warned them of this problem in Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 1, page 32. We read that God warned them the second time by sending two angels to inform Adam and Eve that rebellious Satan was getting ready to deceive them. Oh, how God must have loved them. For God had told them in Genesis 2:16 and 17, the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For the day 
that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Here the sad story begins. One day Eve strayed near the forbidden tree. Satan used a beautiful, glittering serpent to tempt her. After listening to Satan's presentation of exaltation, she chose to believe the devil. Genesis 3.6 states, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Suddenly, changes appeared outside their body. For volume one of Bible Commentary, page 1084 says, When they sinned against God, the light of the garments of heavenly innocence departed from them. Adam and Eve knew they were naked. Now they faced two problems. It was the time for their usual visit with God. But being naked and ashamed, they made aprons of fig leaves to hide their nakedness. We read of this in Genesis 3, 9 to 11. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Oh, what a sad picture. But a loving God did not leave them hopeless. For Jesus told them in Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This prophecy reveals that there was to be a war between the woman, that's the church of God, and those who had accepted Satan as their ruler. And there was no doubt as to the outcome. The church of God was to suffer Satan's attacks as described by a bruise to the heel. But Satan should be destroyed by a blow to the head bringing Satan to his final end. God told them that even before the world was created, the Father and the Son had pledged together that if a man should sin, a remedy would be provided. Praise the Lord! There was a way out. Let us see how this prophecy personally affects you and me, and how the plan of salvation can reconnect us with God forever. In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 59, we read, Contrary to his command, 
they had eaten of the forbidden tree, and now they would continue to eat of it. They would have the knowledge of evil all the days of their life. From that time, the race would be afflicted by Satan's temptations. Instead of the happy labor heretofore appointed them, anxiety and toil were to be their lot. They would be subject to disappointment, grief, and pain, and finally to death. By sin, man had broken his connection with God. No longer were they filled with the indwelling presence of their Creator. Isaiah states it plainly, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you. Isaiah 59, 2. Desire of Ages, page 203, tells us, By sin we have been severed from the life of God. In other words, our connection with God has ceased. What a sad, sad picture. A further description of this terrible catastrophe is found in Signs of the Times, February 13, 1893. When man sinned, all heaven was filled with sorrow. But through yielding to temptation, man became the enemy of God, a partaker of the satanic nature. The image of God in which he had been created was marred and distorted. The character of man was out of harmony with the character of God, for through sin man became carnal. And the carnal heart is enmity against God, and it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Thus man by severing his connection with God, became the enemy of God. No longer was he a partaker of God's nature. The connection was broken. Man became a partaker of satanic nature. Could anything be more horrible? But praise the Lord, God's love provided a way out for we read in John 3:16 and 17 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved our precious Jesus was to reconnect man to his divine power. But in order to accomplish such a connection, Christ had to come down to this sinful world to take upon himself our humanity. This was necessary for him so he could show the way out. 
In Review and Herald, December 15, 1896, it describes what Jesus did. Clothing his divinity with humanity, that he might associate with fallen humanity, he sought to regain for man that which by disobedience Adam had lost for himself and for the world. Please note that inspiration again uses clothing to illustrate. For it says, he clothed his divinity with humanity. The word clothed helps us to understand Christ's two natures. As a man clothes his body, so Christ clothed his divinity with our humanity. The following quote found in Volume 3, Selected Messages, page 131, helps us to understand how this took place. The Godhead was not made human, and the human was not deified by the blending together of the two natures. Now we can understand how this made it possible that Christ's humanity could work independently of the Godhead. Why? Listen carefully. Volume 7, Bible Commentary, page 929. The Lord Jesus came to our world not to reveal what God could do, but what a man could do through faith in God's power. Isn't that beautiful? But remember, Christ was not altogether human. He was also God. Inspiration states it plainly. Volume 5, Bible Commentary, page 1129. Christ was not altogether human, such as one as ourselves. Why? Because he had two natures. Did you notice the words, blended with divinity? Truly Christ was God and man. Now a question. Was the human nature of Christ like our human nature? Volume 3, Selected Messages, page 128 and 129. Laying aside his royal crown, he condescended to step down, step by step, to the level of fallen humanity. His human nature was created. It did not even possess angelic powers. It was human, identical with our own. Would you permit me to let me read that again? His human nature was created. It did not even possess angelic powers. It was human, identical with our own. Nothing could be stated more clearly. Christ's humanity was identical with our humanity. And Paul in Scripture teaches the same. Romans 1.3 Jesus Christ, our Lord, 
was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. Again we read in Romans 8.3, For God, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So, we rightly conclude from the Bible and the spirit of prophecy that Christ clothed his divinity with fallen humanity. For Paul states he took sinful flesh, and Ellen White agrees he took upon himself sinful nature. In Desire of Ages, page 49, Ellen White describes what this sinful nature is. Like every child of Adam, he accepted the results of the working of the great law of heredity. What these results were is shown in the history of his earthly ancestors. And oh, what a sinful nature is revealed. His ancestors in history committed every sin that has ever taken place in this old world. In Desire of Ages, page 117, we read, For 4,000 years, the race had been decreasing in physical strength, in mental power, and in moral worth. And Christ took upon him the infirmities of degenerated humanity. Only thus could he rescue man from the lowest depths of his degradation. So, you can plainly see, if Christ had not taken our sinful heredity, he could not have been our example. But praise God, in spite of 4,000 years of sinful humanity, we read in Review and Herald, December 15, 1896, in him was no guile or sinfulness. He was ever pure and undefiled, yet he took upon himself our sinful nature. Paul states in Hebrews 4.15, He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Inspiration states it plainly in Desire of Ages, page 117. Many claim that it was impossible for Christ to be overcome by temptation. Then, he could not have been placed in Adam's position. He could not have gained the victory that Adam failed to gain. If we have in any sense a more trying conflict that had Christ, then he would not be able to succor us. But our Savior took humanity with all its liabilities. He took the nature of man with the possibility of yielding to temptation. We have nothing to bear which he has not endured. So, now what we really need to know is how did Christ live differently than other men. Unless we know this, how can we follow his example? Praise God!
Inspiration gives us this knowledge. Listen carefully. Volume 7, Bible Commentary, page 926. Christ came to the earth, taking humanity and standing as man's representative to show in the controversy with Satan that man, as God created him, connected with the Father and the Son, could obey every divine requirement. And again in Signs of the Times, December 15, 1896, we read, Christ left his heavenly home and came to this world to show that only by being connected with divinity can man keep the law of God. Praise the Lord, we have found the answer. Christ came to earth connected with God his Father. Christ's mind had the same connection with divinity as Adam and Eve had at creation. God implanted this gift in Christ's mind at his birth. This was foretold in prophecy. Psalms 40, 7 and 8 speaks of Christ. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Inspiration explains how this took place in Christ's life. Signs of the Times, October 20, 1894. He began life, passed through its experiences, and ended his record with a sanctified human will. He was tempted in all points like as we are, and yet, because he kept his will surrendered and sanctified, he never bent in the slightest degree toward the doing of evil or toward manifesting rebellion against God. Praise God, a human Christ has shown us the way out. Christ demonstrated that Adam and Eve need not have sinned. He also proved that a sinful man with thousands of years of sinful heredity, when connected with God, need not sin. This precious gift of connection with God his Father was given to Christ at his birth, and it can be given to each one of us if we will meet God's requirements. Beloved, we should be constantly filled with praise to God who is providing such salvation. Let us bow our heads as we pray together in gratitude. Loving Father, we praise Thee for giving Thy precious Son to die for us, providing a way in which we can be connected with the divine power of Jesus. As we have listened to thy inspired words, our hearts 
have been filled by thy Holy Spirit in contemplating such marvelous grace. Help our sinful self to be fully obedient to thy requirements that we may be connected with our Savior. This we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now in part two of this study of the divine connection, we will discover the steps we must take so that Christ can connect us with his divine power. I am satisfied with Jesus. He has done so much for me. He has suffered We hope you have received a great blessing from this month's message. As you can see, Elder Nelson still has a solid message to bear.
I hope you have enjoyed the message you have heard from him this month. We will send you part two in March. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support.